Uh, we're going to finish <clears throat> this series in Isaiah with a flourish. So we're going to be in Isaiah 66. Get your Bibles open, iPhones, scrolls, whatever you brought with you. Uh, it's a very long chapter. We're only going to look at three verses because, honestly, uh, that's all we need uh, for, for what we're going to cover today. Uh, this chapter is so loaded with information. We've talked about, starting in January, how the first third of the book of Isaiah was about Jesus' birth. We, we learned there that he will be born of a virgin. His name will be called the Great. He will be the Savior of the world. We went through all of that in chapter 7 and chapter 9. And then the middle section is about Jesus' life. And the last half, last third of the book is about his resurrection and the future coming of his kingdom. And so the last thing that Isaiah is going to talk about is how Jesus is going to bless the rest of mankind throughout history. So that's what we're going to take a look at today in chapter 66. But before we, before we do that, I do want to remind you that out in the lobby we have these little cards to invite people to our Christmas Eve services. Now, we'll have four services. It will be packed at all four services. You don't have to have a ticket to get in, but we ask that you would take tickets for your family just so we can kind of spread it out. If you look and there's no tickets for 2 o'clock, then take a ticket for another time. And that just, because if everybody comes at 2 o'clock, we're going to have a problem. See, you see what I'm saying? And so there's also cards out there to invite your friends and neighbors to come. It's a great opportunity to invite them to come. You can guarantee them it's going to be less than an hour. They're going to hear, they're going to hear the Christmas story. They're going to be blessed. So use these cards wisely. Those are out at guest services. And then there's two trees out in the lobby. The one that's on this side of the lobby is for pictures. That's the one for you and your family to get Christmas photos, whatever you want. The one on this side is a giving tree. We do this every year. And this is for a mission called Christian Aid. And it's to help less fortunate people around the world. There's everything. You can sponsor a child. You can buy a goat for a family. You can buy chickens. $5. You can buy seeds to help a farmer start a farm. Uh, from $5 up to about $60. In fact, what do I have here? I have library books and I have refugee care. Who wants these two? All right, right there. Would you pass those back, please? Two, two or three rows behind you. Thank, thank you very much. All right, but there's a tree full of those. And old, you can do it the old-fashioned way. You can write on the back. Or we'll see who's the hipsters. You can use the QR code, and you can do it right there on your phone. So, uh, but the tree's just full of things that are going to bless third-world children. And uh, this was a big, big hit last year. So we thank you so much uh, for that. All right. Is there anybody here from Iowa? All right. I got one, two... I couldn't find anybody last night. All right. Two people from Iowa. Now, I'm from Missouri. Uh, Iowa's got corn. And hogs. Oh, I was just seeing if there was anything else. All right. But I don't know if you guys know this, but Des Moines, we have a picture here. Des Moines is a town of about 200,000 people. Yeah, it's the capital of, of Iowa. It's got the banking thing. But surprisingly, the NFL came to Des Moines and asked them if they would like to have a professional football team. Did you guys know this story? Anybody from Iowa? You didn't hear that? I mean, it seemed like, you know, why would they go there? It's, you know, 200,000 people, but literally would have made billions of dollars for Des Moines. 
But they turned it down and they said, because if we accept it, Chicago will want a team too. Yeah, Cord made the mistake of taking a shot at my Cardinals last week, so. All right, so we're going to tie a lot of things together. I'm just going to ask you to stay with me. I'll try not to lose anybody on this journey, uh, but I'm going to start with Patrick Henry today. Uh, Patrick Henry made the famous speech in Richmond. It said, give me liberty or give me death. You remember that speech if you studied American history? How many of you know that took place in the church? St. John's Episcopal Church in Richmond was on a Sunday night. They were having service, and Patrick Henry stood up at the end of the service and made that famous speech. Patrick Henry also said this, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not upon religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? <clears throat> so... When you hear this crazy revisionist history of what's going on, here's a guy that was there, okay? He was a guy that actually helped get it going. He was, one of the, he, he was one of the ones that drove things toward the revolution. Whether you like it or not, he was one of the leaders, and he said, this whole thing is built upon Jesus Christ. Now, I think, this is thus saith Joe, I think the United States has had a large role in the history of Christianity. I'm not exactly sure what our full purpose is, but I'm going to show you some of it today. Because uh, we're not mentioned in the end times. You may have noticed that. We don't show up when you get to the end of the book of Revelation. So I don't know whether we've been raptured out, bombed out. I have no idea what, what to expect about the United States. But I do know that God has used the United States to win millions of people to Christ, to support billions of people around the world. It's, been the, it's, it's the United States economy and the Christians giving that's feeding the world, clothing the world, building hospitals around the world. It is the church of Jesus that through the last 245 years has been doing all of that. And so when I hear people give Christianity a hard time, well, I don't see Christians doing the things that, 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 that I see Jesus do. I don't see them having compassion. I want to say, who do you think built the hospitals? Who do you think is in these horrible places where, where, the, where you hear about these crazy diseases? Those are all Christian doctors in Christian hospitals that don't leave. Who do you think is feeding people in Ethiopia right now? It is always God's people that are on the front end of that. And it's people that have grabbed onto this idea. Now, does God need America? The answer is no. Is God using America? The answer is yes. And our job is to be faithful where we are with what God has given to us. But that's where Isaiah found himself at the end of chapter 66. He's dealing with the problems in Jerusalem. And so we're going to just read three verses. One, four, and eight. If you'll stand out of respect for God's word. All right, so it's going to sound a little choppy, but just trust me, okay? This is what the Lord said. Heaven is my throne... And the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you'll build for me? If the heavens are my dwelling place, what are you going to build for me? All right, there's something to think about. Where will my resting place be? So I also, verse 4, so I also 
will choose harsh treatment for them and will bring upon them what they dread. For when I called, no one answered. And when I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight and chose what displeased me. Verse 8. Who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such things? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion, Jerusalem, in labor than she gives birth to her children. You can be seated. (coughs) So, it's a message of hope. As Isaiah has talked about the birth of... The birth of the Messiah will be a virgin birth. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Chapter 52 and 53, we went through the specifics of a crucifixion that wouldn't happen for 700 years, that hadn't been invented yet, the whole idea of crucifixion. We get all the details down to what's being said at the cross. We get the whole story. And now we come to chapter 66. So Isaiah is making his parting words to a group of people that he's tried to leave with hope about this Messiah that's coming, but knowing that the culture they're living in right now is a very bad one. Does that sound any way reflective of our current circumstances? Hope is solid. So here's the message. God is still on his throne. God hasn't moved. If you, if you get caught up with the world, you'll think God's relocated. God has not moved. God is still in control of all things. God sits on the throne. Now, I get it. You can get caught up so easily. All right. I don't care whether you're a Foxite or a CNNite or NBC. Man, you get lost in that stuff and you will begin to believe God has lost his throne. God didn't go anywhere. And so regardless of what you're going through, maybe it's depression, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's finances, stuff over the the plague, stuff over a shot, maybe it's your health, you're dealing with grief, whatever it might be, the message that Isaiah wants to leave his people is that God is still on his throne. And he's not going anywhere. Now listen, it doesn't matter whether you believe in him or not, God didn't move. All right, And that's, that's really the message that Isaiah is giving. Because remember, the people of Israel at this time, they have rejected God. They've rejected God's ways. They're worshiping pagan idols. They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And Isaiah reminds the remnant, God is still there. You're not going to build anything for him. He's here to minister to you. It says, it says the Lord is on his throne and the earth is his footstool. Now, this is a very important part of this story. All right, you'll see it again. If you go to Psalm 110, you will see this idea of a footstool. And it's it's brought up in other places in Scripture where it says that God says he will use the earth as his footstool. But I want to show you, this is King Tut. If you go with me to Egypt, I will show you this. This is King Tut's throne. Uh, maybe not as impressive as you would have thought it might have been. It is, it is made out of solid gold, so that's, you know, that says something. Uh, but it, it's just a chair, all right? And the king did not hang out here, all right? He's got lazy boys and other things that, that he hangs out in. <clears throat> but this is for official deals when he's sitting on the throne. This is the footstool. Now, it looks like a lazy boy, but it's not. 
The point was not to recline. On the footstool, you can see pictures and words. I don't read ancient Egyptian, but I will tell you what's there. It, this will be a picture of the Assyrian king and his name. This will be a picture of the Babylonian king and his name. And when the king sits on his throne, he puts his feet where? On his enemies. On his enemies. So when God says, I am on my throne and the earth is my footstool. It is a reminder to us that not only is God in charge, is he still the one who saves, he's almighty, but all of the enemies of God are under his feet. In fact, when you read the New Testament, it says there's only one enemy left to be destroyed, and Jesus took care of that. What was the last enemy? Death. The last enemy to be destroyed was death. So God is on his throne. He's got his foot on the enemies of God. Cord talked about that. Pastor Cord preached here in Ormond last week. Great message, Ben and David, where they were about chapter 65, about the fact that God is solid and you can always count on his faithfulness. Even in times when it looks rough, even in times when it looks impossible, the reminder is that God is still where he's always been. And he's got you. There are so many people out there that tell you you can't. But you have to do is turn around and say, watch me. We live in a world, that's Bryce Harper with the Philadelphia Phillies, but... We live in a world that is constantly telling us you can't believe in God, you can't serve God, you're crazy to do this, and yet God proves himself faithful time and time again. That's why I wanted you to see that video up front, because I wanted you to be reminded of God's faithfulness to fulfill literally thousands upon thousands of scriptures. They just went through the ones that were about the Jewish people, and yet we see the faithfulness of God through all of that. In Isaiah 6... Isaiah had already mentioned this. He said he had a vision. He said, I saw the Lord. How did he see him? High and exalted. High and exalted and sitting on his throne. And he goes through this whole call. And Isaiah realized how inadequate he was. And he said, he said I was undone. And he, he sent coals from the altar of God and he touched Isaiah's lips. And Isaiah said, because I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the king. High and lifted up. Right? That's, that's, that's the message. And then God has this conversation with Isaiah. And again, we want to see it in a room like this. We want to see it where... Where God says, okay, who's going to serve me? Who's going to go for me? And kind of like I did with the cards a while ago. It's like, who's going to take these cards? Who, who's going to sponsor these kids? You know, whatever it is. But it's not that way. When God had that conversation, Isaiah is the only one in the room. It's God and Isaiah. And God says to Isaiah, who's going to go for me? And when God is speaking to you and calling you, that's exactly how it's going to work. God will not call you out of a crowd and say, I hope I get one of these people to do something. God's going to look you in the eye and you're going to hear him say, who's going to go for me? 
Who's going to feed this kid? Who's going to take care of this? Who's going to help support this? Whatever, whatever it might be. And so it started with Isaiah having a right view of God and the right view of God as one who is high and exalted and is above all other ideologies, all, over, all other religions, and his feet are on all of his enemies. All right, that's verse 1. We get to verse 4. And it says that God is speaking, but nobody's listening. And as a result of that, God gets very upset. God gets angry. Because people say, well, I just wish God would speak to me today. Billboard. I mean, you hear all kinds of things, right? Why doesn't God just put up a billboard? He does that too, but God's speaking to us. It's not, that's not the issue. It's about, is anybody listening? My wife will often say, Joe, are you listening to me? And I say, that's a strange way to start a conversation. <laughs> now, you guys, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You expect me to listen? The game's on. <clears throat> but we live in a world, and I'm going to just tell you straight up, because you know I've tried to be as blunt as I can, because I'm worried about all of us. I listen to so many preachers that have quit listening to God, it terrifies me for the church. Because if the preachers are not listening to God and giving you the Word of God, you got no chance. Well, you, your chance is on your own, but it's real easy to go, ah, pastor said don't worry about it, pastor said you don't have to believe that, pastor said doesn't matter what the Scripture says, we're more progressive than that, we understand better now, marriage is defined differently, life is defined differently, and you don't have to pay any attention to that stuff. Listen, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you the truth. What you do with the truth is completely up to you. But it terrifies me for the church when we have men who won't stand on the Word of God. And when they quit listening, then nobody's going to hear the Word of God. And sadly, God is God's screaming. I mean, God, God couldn't be more clear. Let me give you the juxtaposition here. Do you like that word? All right, let me, let me give you this. All right, this is Neil deGrasse Tyson. Anybody know who he is? Physicist. He's, uh, he's kind of the new go-to guy for atheism. Uh, here's what he said. <clears throat> he said, we have a genetic kinship with all life on earth, an atomic kinship to all matter in the cosmos. So when I look at the universe, I feel large. Because I remind myself that not only are we living in this universe, but the universe is living within us. Now that's atheism. Let me tell you what King David wrote on the same subject. This is Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place... What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you would care for him? Where the atheist sees himself as such an important part of the cog, David said, no, the right way to see yourself is small. Because God's on his throne. God is the one that's speaking. God's the one in charge. And God's not, God is not there to work with me. I am here to work with God. Does that, does that make sense? That's, that's what we're here for. So the question is not, is God still speaking? 
The message of Jesus is still there. The hope of Jesus, the reason Jesus died on the cross, is to save each and every one of you. Some of you, it's the first time you've heard about Jesus dying for you. Some of you have heard it a thousand times. You've got to decide to listen. My children, I've told you this story a million times, my children are the masters. Did you hear me tell you to take out the trash? And after three or four questions, of course, it's my fault for getting upset. But after three or four times, they say, yes, we heard you. That was not the answer I was looking for. I wanted the trash moved. Does that make sense? See, God's speaking, and it's like we're going, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. No. If we're listening to God, we're doing what God's called us to do. You cannot read the Word of God and say, yeah, God got it. Read it, got it, got it. No, you go out and you live it. It changes your action, your behavior, how you handle your money. It changes everything about you. All right, let's get to the verse 8. This is the this is the money part. All right, this is what you paid for even though you got in free. You may be wondering where the title God and Harry Truman came from. So here we go. All right. In uh and I and I give a a, a lot of credit um some incredible research has been done on this by people much much smarter than me and so I want you to know I stole most of this but the facts are there, okay? In verse 8, it's, it asks the question, can a nation be born in a day? Now, the answer to the question, by the way, is no. When Rome became a nation, it took a long time. Rome was not built in a day, right? You heard that? Greek, Greece was not built in a day. United States, we, people landed here in 1620, took us to 1776 before there was, quote, an official nation. A nation is never born in a day. But that's the question. So I went back and I read everything I could find of old time writers, anybody in the 18th, 19th century and before. And when they would look at this verse, they would say, well, he's talking about the church, talking about the church being born and the beginning of the church. And the problem is that's not what Isaiah is talking about. What's he talking about? A country, a specific country of Come on. Israel. It's real clear. He's talking about Israel. And he switches gears and he says, when the birth pains happen, all of a sudden, a nation will come into existence. Has a nation ever come into existence in a day? Let me tell you the day. It was May 14th, 1948. There was a Missouri boy in the White House. His name was Harry Truman. Again, it looks like a total accident. Roosevelt did everything he could to keep Truman from knowing anything. They apparently thought that Roosevelt was going to live forever, so they didn't need to tell Harry anything. (coughs) So, Harry's an accidental president. Harry gets in the White House, and I'm only going to push Harry so far because Harry was called Give Him Hell Harry for a reason. There was a whole lot of things that uh, Harry was not quite where he should have been uh, with the Lord. But Harry did love the Lord. And he'd grown up reading the Word. He grew up as a Methodist. And he knew the Bible forward and backward. And he knew that Israel was God's chosen people. Now, nobody would have made the connection at the time to Isaiah 66.8. But after World War II, they're dividing up 
all the countries and who's going to go where and who's going to get what. And there's this big push for Israel to get its own nation. Now remember, no nation has ever ceased to exist and come back. The Assyrians, gone. Babylonians, gone. Any group, the Hittites, once they're gone, they're gone. Nobody's ever come back from the dead, so to speak. And Truman sees this moment in front of him. And he is surrounded. His, his um, Secretary of State is uh, General... Somebody help me. Yeah. George C. No, not Scott. Let me, get, let me get you the right general just in case you want to write me a letter. Marshall. George C. Marshall. And Truman loved Marshall. And Truman said he is the greatest American living. But Marshall did not believe that Israel should become a nation. And neither did any of the Jewish people around him in Washington. But Truman said, well, all I know is that the documents that started this country are all based on the Bible. He said, if you look at the Declaration of Independence, you look at the Bill of Rights, he said, they all come out of the book of Exodus, and they come out of Matthew's Gospel, and they come out of Isaiah. And... Jesus was Jewish. I mean, he, he, we Missouri boys are pretty sharp like that. And, um, and, he was, and, he, and he was putting these pieces together, and he's getting all kinds of pushback. Harry gets on the phone and starts pressuring other countries. It finally goes to a vote at the UN, and it's 31 for, 13 against, and 10 abstain. Israel has now got approval, but still doesn't have approval from the United States. And Truman is fighting with everybody in the White House. And Harry finally says, enough. And at 6.15 on May 14, 1948, Harry Truman signs a document that brings Israel back to life. Ben-Gurion walks out on a platform in Jerusalem and says, we proclaim that Israel is now an independent state fulfilling that prophecy, the only time in history when a nation has come back from the dead. All right. Now, <clears throat> you're saying, <clears throat> Joe, why did you do this to me? All right. Here's why. If God can unfold history 2,700 years into the future, and he could foresee the United Nations, and he could foresee Harry Truman sitting in a table, and he could see a man named Ben-Gurion standing in Jerusalem. And he could say, the time is going to come when a nation will come back and it will be born in a day. Guys, if that doesn't convince you that God can take care of you, because that's really what this comes down to. First of all, can I trust the book? Yeah, I can trust the book. Can I trust my Savior? Yes, I can trust my Savior. But when you start looking at, well, I've got financial problems and I've got husband problems and wife problems and children problems and life problems and health problems, is my God big enough? Listen, here's some advice. Open your eyes and see that God is still on His throne. Open your ears and hear that God is still speaking. And then open your mind and see that God is still fulfilling Scripture. Amen. I was in Chicago. It was, I was forced. It was kind of a tough deal. But I, 
It was a church planning event, and they so need Jesus in Chicago that I went to it. And um, I went up in the John Hancock building. All right, anybody ever been up in this crazy building? All right. Well, here's it. Way up on the top, they put in they put in this thing that it's to make money. They charge you like thirty bucks to go to these tilt windows. All right. Now here's here's the next picture. This will show you what it looks like from the outside of the building. So for thirty dollars. You step into this little box and you hold on and the building moves. And you're looking straight down at the street several hundred feet down. Now there's a guy that stands up there behind you and he goes, we've tested this and multiple elements could stand on this at the same time and you would still be safe. Let me tell you what, when you're face down, you're not thinking about any elephants. <laughs> and I hate heights. I am terrified of heights. But I did it so I could tell you this story. Sometimes God has to put us in spots where we have nothing to trust but Him to find out just how amazing He really is. So, Father, as we uh, finish today and as we finish this series, we pray that um, You would speak to our hearts. Open our eyes, open our ears open our minds, and God, do a work that only you can do. Whether people are watching at home or here, you're not limited by time or space. And God, if you can handle 2,700 years of history, you can handle our lives. In Jesus' name.